Before we start today's podcast, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to the Second Citizens podcast and ask a favor of you if you have a second. Give us a five-star rating and a review on whatever your streaming platform of choice is. I know you're saying, wait, I have to give you a five-star rating? Well, I mean, that would be nice, but I'll make you a deal. You give us the five-star rating and then really say anything you like in the review. Be as mean as you can. I I don't mind. I can take it. And it'd be worth it for that five-star review. And now, our episode. hear the word artist, it likely evokes any number of thoughts, creator, free thinker, unemployment, and on and on and on. Now, while everyone who has worked at the Second City certainly was an artist, creating art for the public to consume, very few of the performers at the Second City, especially the men, would ever really be described in that way. Words like wise-ass, jock, bully, maniac, psychopath, those are all much more accurate descriptors for the bulk of us. But artist is the word that keeps coming into my head when I think of Alex Fendrich, our guest today. He's a man of many talents, a man who isn't afraid to show his emotions or to follow flights of fancy wherever they may lead. This is of vital importance for an improviser. If you told me that Alex was a sculptor or a choreographer or a French horn player, it wouldn't surprise me. There's just something about him that gives off a creative energy. And yet, I don't want to diminish him with the word artist, which can in some ways be used dismissively as in, oh, he's an artist with his head in the clouds. Because Alex isn't just a creator. He's a director, a foreman, a producer, a musical director, someone who has the initiative to take charge of a project and see it through. And this is actually extremely rare in an improviser. And perhaps the most rare thing about Alex is that he's authentic and genuine, and the emotion I mentioned before is real, and he's not afraid to share it. To that end, I wanted to mention another alum of the Second City, Michael Lehrer. Mike lives in Austin now and is entering the later stages of ALS. Before he moved to Austin, Alex arranged a number of hangouts with Mike and I. We just hang out on a street corner talking shit, maybe smoking a joint or something, and I am so eternally grateful that Alex took the time and had the compassion to arrange these hangouts. And just so we don't go into the interview with you thinking that Alex is some like overly emoting, pretentious stereotype, I do want to point out that he was the anchor of the defense of the second city, back-to-back, undefeated Theater League touch football team, where he acquired the nickname Vanilla Gorilla for his aggressive play and pale looks. (laughs) And now I bring you the artist, Alex Fendrich. Joe, wow. Alex. Very nice of you. And, and just before, as we were talking, another of your uh, skills, you reminded me that you were a musical director, understudy for Second City, and also at I.O., which I had forgotten about, but fits into my narrative of you, the, the, the Renaissance man. Hmm. And you've directed stuff, and, you know, you, can, you can't, can't deny it. You've done a lot of different things. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. And come up to the mic a little yes. so we get you there. And I don't know if you want the cans on your head sure. so that you can hear your levels. But Yes. And I just had your buddy uh, Andy St. Clair in here. And you guys did a few shows together. And I was saying to him, we're all kind of contemporaries, basically coming around the same time to Chicago, 
many of the same experiences at, at IO and whatnot. And then, and then the second city thing, um, you're, and we, Andy and I talked about ETC and stuff. Uh, so it's all new to you, but I've mm-hmm. got some, some inside information on those days that hopefully I'll, I'll use and you can lay some inside information on too. Sure. But where are you from originally and how did you make your way to Chicago? Uh, the city of Chicago proper. Uh, I was born in Beloit, Wisconsin, and uh, and then uh, moved to Connecticut briefly as a kid, kind of had nursery school age, and then moved to Maryland, right outside of D.C., okay. Bethesda, Maryland. Grew okay. up there. Sure. Yeah, a lot of government stuff in Bethesda. That's true. A lot yeah. of government, a lot of, you know, of course, the politics around. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, although that I didn't you think. Were not, not something in your purview. Not so much. I mean, it was, the, I realized later, like going to visit the monuments, well, these monuments are impressive. As a kid, it was like, okay, this is It's like how Disneyland. Is. Yeah. It's like, you know, Disneyland in your backyard. You don't really think of it as anything. It's true. And then it's pretty majestic then going back. But um, yeah, and then, and, then, and then I went to school outside of Philadelphia. And uh, Where'd you go to school? Haverford College. Okay. It's like a small liberal arts college. Sure. Uh, Dotting the entire Northeast, tons of those. Totally, and a lot of improvisers, you know, wind up in that. It, yeah. yeah, you know, friends, and, and and even improvisers who went to school with friends of mine yeah. at some of those schools. Sure. Anyway, but anyway, anyhow, uh, is it in Philly, Haverford, or is it right outside? It's on the main line. It's it's closer to where Villanova is, and okay. I kind of, you know, it's probably within a half hour. And I would go into Philly to take classes at another school there. There was kind of a an exchange program, exchange stuff, and uh, at Bryn Mawr College too. Oh, yeah. I took class there, and they, they used to be brother sister schools. But uh, and then after Haverford, I got I, I went to Chicago very randomly. It was basically, a, you know, my girlfriend at the time in college. Joe's nodding because maybe already. It's I mean, a, they, some, they, you know, these, you stories, these stories. Uh, there's only so many different ways you get to Chicago, but that's, that's one true. of them, right? And so yeah, and and I think at the time, uh, even though home was a place where there are some people that I absolutely loved and that I was even you know, liked to create things with and have fun with. Uh, in Maryland, it just was how things worked out. I went to Chicago, and uh, yeah. So did you I, move with the girl? Basically, yeah. like a f- she moved with a uh, roommate of hers who she had grown up with, who wanted to pursue acting and, in Chicago. In Chicago, and so um, and then uh, she was going into what she, the field she wanted to go into, and and I moved there and was like, okay, let's see what she, you know. I what bit- was your theater degree? I, I had a I, I didn't have a theater degree, so I had, I said theater degree. What oh. was your college degree? I'm sorry. Oh no no that's okay. I was but I but I took an, a theater class at Bryn Mawr actually, which I really loved. Sure. But uh but I t- I was an English major with like creative writing concentration sure. okay. and a uh, fine arts. Right. So I did painting, oil uh, painting. I was so right with my oh my god I that's good. Well, I ha- I know, didn't know that you did oil painting. Yeah, I would, and you know, just painting basically. Sure, but, sure, sure. And so, and I <laughs> only say, oil. Yeah, only oil. But uh, I would say that I was just very fortunate in Bethesda, Maryland. Even though it was a public high school, it was a very good, very good public high school. And there was a teacher there yeah. that was an ama- really amazing high school art teacher. And so I got to study under this guy, and it you know influenced me, put me in certain situations, you know, got me. Uh, yeah. Makes me angry that they don't teach art in school anymore. It was really shocking. I don't remember the year I heard that as an adult where I was like, really? They, they really hardly ever. It uh, was, yeah. Yeah. It's, you gotta like, it's like an extra thing now to have art classes for your kids, which is ridiculous because even in this one story, we're finding out the influence that it might've had. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's like butterfly effect. He didn't know you'd be on the, 
uh, ETC, but oh no way. So yeah. you so you've really you moved to Chicago, kind of open minded. Yes, you know it's a nice city, and exactly. opportunities will present themselves. That's right. But where did the opportunities first present themselves in Chicago? Um, I I spent the first year as a, like a phone operator for an HR company, and so during that year, did you I, get that job through manpower? I thought I, something I feel like everybody got their first job in Chicago through manpower. If it was yeah, case. if it wasn't manpower, it's the equivalent. It was definitely a uh, what's it called? Um, now I'm forgetting. Headhunter or yeah, and uh, you do it for a couple weeks yep, and then hopefully agency. they keep you on. Exactly, <laughs> temp agency. That's my first job. I got same yes. exact thing. Then they fired yes. me on my birthday. Oh yeah, I know. I'm sorry, they didn't know. No, they didn't know. Uh, and and so that first year, I I lived across the street from Frank's on Clark Street uh-huh. on Deming, and um, I, my friends were basically a bunch of uh, uh, guys who worked at a grocery store that were Vietnam veterans that played pool every day after work. And I base, I mean, I say friends, but I'm saying I did spend yeah. many nights playing pool with these guys in the back of Frank's, and really for my first year, just lived life and was writing resumes because a friend of the family, one friend of the family said, Hey, the creative side of advertising is a way that you could get experience on sets and maybe not starve. So consider that. And so that just maybe not starve. Always a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit that was part of, you know, why I was thinking it because I didn't have, you know, I didn't know. Right. And and honestly, you can go in any direction with a fine arts and English degree, or you can go in no directions. You know what I mean? Like, like it it lends itself to things, but there isn't, it's not like an engineering degree where it's like, oh, I will be this. Yes. And I I have to say like, right, definitely the case. And even being in Chicago, I had a moment where like I had an interview at the Art Institute and showed stuff there and got good feedback. That's probably still true, which was like, hey, I see these paintings you're doing, but why don't you just do the a series of paintings like this one and don't do any of the others, which was good advice, but he was sort of like to get into the school, you should just focus on this style. And that could maybe be a parallel for other times. People go like, why don't you just focus on this, which I respect. But since, you know, we're talking in this context of yeah. I like to do different things, Absolutely. I do, you know, and they do inform each other. And that's why people it's, like it's, improv that have a lot of different it's interesting Thanks. that you mentioned that about the fine art because, uh, you know, Stephanie Weir. Oh, yeah. I say, oh, yeah, because, you know, I we all know Stephanie her. Weir. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I have not had yet the opportunity to interview her, but I, I know her. And the last time I saw her, I think on her Instagram, I had seen a bunch of paintings she had put up by this artist who she had purchased these paintings from. And we were talking about it. And I liked, I admired the, the paintings. And I was like, he did all the, because they were stylistically very different. And she said, yeah, he's great, and he, he doesn't want to pick a style. And she, and she said that he had been told that was holding him back. Sure. Like, like Picasso did t- t- 20 different styles, but he did them in a row. I guess that's it. You know, like he did his Cubist, then he did his Blue Period, then he did, as opposed to, I'll do a Blue one here and a Cubist one here. They don't like it when you do that, apparently. Strangely, they want their art to be regimented. It you know in these it sounds like in these circumstances, those, it's, it's, that has isn't been, it weird though? Yeah. But again, yeah. I think the 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 mind of an artist or especially an improviser has varying uh, interests it wants to follow. So, mm-hmm. uh, so they oh. offered that feedback and, and oh yeah, and you know I mean and and I kept painting by the way it didn't stop me from painting and and I kept enjoying that and I had a like a basement apartment you know, across the street 
from where my girlfriend lived and, you know, just starting out, see how things go. Anyway, I painted in the basement. Blah, blah, blah. You know, eventually some of my, uh, I got some informational interviews and some of that was through, you know, I, I asked friends of the family, do you know people? And I was very fortunate somebody did and set me up with informational interviews and things just happened like I went for an interview. I'm sorry, we just hired a junior carp- copywriter too bad you don't want to be an art director. And I was able to go, well, can you look at these paintings I did? And I put some headlines on them just in case somebody wanted an art director, and he hired me because of that, basically. So I went in for a writing job and got hired. And as you a, improvised your way into a different job. I got improvised my way into a computer production artist job. And so, you know, I had to learn a bunch of programs very quickly and take a test as if I had learned all those yeah. programs over years and, and, you know, did my best to learn. And there's Something where, you know, that actually sets up a second city thing that happened to me, too, where you just have to go in and do it, you know? Yeah. So the, Yeah, the opportunity presents itself. It's a yes or no question. Right. You know, the no is easier. The yes, yes. is going to be some more work, right. but also more fulfilling. That's, that's right. You know? So it's inter- these this pattern's emerging for you, uh, kind of. And yet, for so many of us, the pattern that emerges is that we kind of, we wander from one thing. Do something with it, wander again, and all those past experiences. I guess I'm describing life, I suppose, but your years in Chicago. So you're suddenly now you're an art director. Not quite not, yet. Not like, like, but, but, but you're in, the, in that pipeline. Um, yeah, exactly. And I can see art directors in the offices surrounding my cubicle. And, yes. um, you know, I'm doing things for truck uh, parts and moving things around. And, and it was wonderful. And I, and I liked the environment. It was like, Nice place to work. Doing like graphic building. design and stuff a little bit. And even less than that, you know, just really like somebody else's design things and I'm moving, like changing prices. On, Editing and stuff. Yeah, But exactly. small edits. Small edits and making something a little bigger and making this smaller, but not really producing anything myself. But at the time going to art directors and saying, hey, I know you have boards that you're doing and it's late at night. Do you want help doing that? And so then I learn how to make storyboards, you know, like uh, that anyone can do. But I just... Sure. And so, you know, just Your curiosity brings yes. you into these other things. Yes. And learn. Yeah, exactly. And for instance, I learned things that it's like, and I've, this has happened to me from being in a situation I don't know. I'm like, do ridiculous questions, say ridiculous things sometimes. So I go into the main executive creative director's office three months and in, uh, months into working there. And I say, can you help me build my book? You know, so I can get a really great other job. And he kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? Why am I going to help you build your book so you can leave here? But it was just like I didn't expect him to say that. I assume everyone's trying to help everybody. Interesting. So, uh, and that, I'm not saying that's the way everyone reacts. But anyhow. no, but but I mean that's yeah. totally that's a totally different perspective that that person has. Right. He never would ask somebody to help him with his book because that's his enemy. I guess, you know, from his point of view, I'm thinking, I think I got a little, I realized that, and I have to say, you know, this is interesting because it's not in a bubble, like in in improvising as an Armando, I remember telling stories of friends from home, things that are funny, stupid things I did, you know, and no one's videotaping it. And I'm, you know, so when you're talking about emoting, I think that's part of why I would emote and I would live on stage and bring what I was feeling on stage. And what am I getting? Anyway, I did, uh, you know, so I guess I'm saying, I don't know what I'm saying, but I think you're very sincere and I think you're curious. And so I think those things probably send you into some decisions where you're curious and sincere. So you're just saying whatever you want with no real like filter of considering anything other than like that guy who you talked to, 
he's got so many other things in his mind about com- competition with somebody else and where I stand and everything. You just had a question about can this help me be, and yeah. and he taught me a real life well, lesson. Well, and, and you know, not all lessons are positive, all right? But they can be turned into positive. That's true. And so, yeah. So so how long were you working kind of within this industry before you discovered improv? So maybe even based on that. And maybe just luckily, months, a few months passed maybe, or I checked in with somebody else I had interviewed with, and they said, hey, I'm, I like that you got a job there. Why don't you come over here? And so I got a job as like a junior art director at a place that did television commercials, more specifically and two-minute commercials and longer form oh, like direct you, response commercials. Ah. So anything from like life insurance to um, still credit cards, but things that take Not a little more time. Not quite infomercials, but right before that. That's, that's right, in that zone. Yes, and definitely looking for a direct response from the audience. Call 1-800-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-DOT-
had been talking about maybe being interested. And I don't remember if he mentioned Second City or I.O., but I just, you know, it was kind of in the air, and it was, you know. Yeah, but, and, and, but once I saw it, that was the difference. Yes. I saw that show. And, and of all the shows to see, uh, we've mentioned it many times, that, that was kind of the all-star show in Chicago at the t- for maybe 10 years. Yeah. You would just, you know, and so you, you're seeing probably Kevin Dorf yeah. and, and all the main stage people, Tina, yes. Amy Poehler, all that, the UCB guys. Right. And, and Peter and, Gwynn. And for me, a little bit later, maybe that particular Armando yeah. might have been like slightly later than that. But some of the people you mentioned, they would I come would, back now and again. And I would get to ultimately, I got to see some of you those were like people Kaki, perform. Laura Craft, yeah. maybe those. Yeah, folks. exactly. I mean, Dassey, Neil Flynn. Yeah, I mean, all phenomenal. Stephanie. Yeah. Yes. A great. Uh, yeah. These are all you know names that 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 we hear all the time, and that's a, a show that so many. That show made Sharna Halpern. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> I mean, I've I've done calculations for her before where I've figured out, okay, I did a thousand free shows, you drew this much money, you made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on shows that I was in, stuff like that. But that so so that show itself, in the same way that Pictionary made millions of dollars for the second city. Absolutely. Uh, and that show people would see that show and they would be amazed and then they'd be hooked. And so you're in classes yes. now. Yeah, I'm in classes, and um, I wind up being in class with a class that I was also equally, and maybe, I mean, I would like to think that I'm a little bit like this way anyway, that I am, well, you said curious, I am curious, and and uh, I was curious that I was in a class with people that I thought were wonderful, funny, smart, interesting, like, from the first class, so I was like, whoa, and definitely, I mean, Sharna was my teacher, and she's one of the best teachers I've had. And I've been Great very for, lucky, and, and especially as your first teacher. Oh yeah, she she gets how to get people hooked on improv. <laughs> she really does, and that, that, yes. that's that's a talent. I'm no, not saying true. that in any way that's derisive. No, no. She she knows because we all have our first encounters with Sharna, and almost universally, they're great. Oh yeah, I mean it was a. Uh, well, we know what it's the long form tenets of it, and a lot of it is like kind of spiritual and kind it, of. It is a little bit, and, and and I like how you mentioned how you enjoyed seeing all these other talented people, because improv, it invites you to share your experiences. That's what it was designed. I mean, if you go all the way back to Viola Spolin, it was supposed to be regular people doing theater that reflected their lives. That's right. You know, plumbers and workers and stuff, and and I think that carried on. You know, Dell wanted the real. Truth and comedy. Yeah. And, uh, that, and that's what, I mean, I have to say, like, if any kind of, like, if how I play or whatever, I mean, a lot of it is influenced by these things that I was drawn to. Yeah. And that I liked very much in those, for, in all of my classes. Yeah. And, and and you are bringing all of your experience. We all are. And, and, we're, and it is a collaborative and sharing process. And for so many of us who moved to Chicago with one or two friends, maybe, and are right. starting, like... You're, you're, it's like skipping the introduction phase with people because they're sharing their personality in the class and yeah. you hang out afterwards. Yes. It, it just kind of like, it almost like condenses some of those early relationship bonds. Great point. And, and I also think it, um, there's something kind of protected about it. Like the same way that certain kind of uh, well, yeah, it's just protected. Like we're all here, we're all part of this thing, and that takes care of a lot of stuff that later in life can become uh, 
different for yeah, people. Or yeah, not problematic, later, but not later in life, but just in the negotiating of making things yes. or whatever. And there's not really negotiation. It's like, hey, you guys are all together. This person's going to tell you what you want to try and do. But then no one can stop you once you're on stage and go and, and you play. And then afterwards, everyone goes, that was fun. Yeah. And there's not a ton residual stuff, ideally. Then it's, it's true. And the disposability of it also makes it easy to fail yeah. initially. It's like, all right, right, we'll try this again. And, right. and, and you're also seeing everybody fail. And there's a, there's a bonding and this, and this can carry over also to the writing process at Second City, where there's so much failure in trying stuff and it's invited, but you're watching each other fail, you're exposing yourselves out there to one another, mm. yeah. risking it, oh, yeah. and, and protecting one another, and, and you know, like, yes. the, that you can't help but create that stuff and, and not have an emotional content seep in somehow. Yeah. I mean, and you see all the time. I mean, like, you know, I'm married to a person I was in a cast with. You know, there, right. these things happen all the time, right. these bonds. I'm married to, an, you know, an improviser yes, right. as well. Right. I, I mean, I've been married yeah. to two improvisers, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, so far. Uh, so, so, like many of us, you're doing the long-form improv and right. stuff. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned to me before, you also... Uh, can play piano, and in all improv shows, at least at, uh, in Chicago at Improv Olympic at the time, there's always a piano player accompanying the, the, the group. And often, uh, I'll mention the name Dave Adler. He's the guy who was there when I started. I believe he does film scoring out here in L.A. now. Like, improv has gotten better as, it's, as the years have gone on. Like, the average improv show has gotten better. There's still shitty ones. But... When I started, there was not as many people improvising. Even from four years later when you got there, it was vital to have somebody like that to save the show if necessary or to play people out or to give them clues. And, and, and those skills as a piano player, did you do that initially at I.O. when you were there? Did they know of your piano playing skills? I don't remember the exact timing, but my memory is, I don't know if I had been put on a Herald team already, but I was performing that. And I think someone didn't show up one night and I was in the audience watching and Sharna said, you know how to play piano, don't you? And I said, yeah. She said, go do it. And so I did. And I got hired that day and continued to do it. And I would do it, you know, <laughs> weekly for years. Amazing, and and, and yeah. there are, and I'm sure there's some lessons in 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 musical directing that that influence improv in ways that I I don't know because I've not done that you know I've I've for sure. been musically directed yes and mis you know and going for things trying things and realizing maybe the cast didn't like that and also hearing about people who had come before like Dave Adler and hearing how they did things so I was like yeah but also relying on my own Your absolutely and stuff, like yeah. what I liked and and so. You know, you do things that you hope help, and then sometimes I, you know, I would break out into something that maybe, uh, maybe didn't help or help the audience. But I realized later, did I just make all the attention on me? Oh, you but know, that's. Just, I mean, there was sometimes. one time like when we were doing a shitty scene about literally bailing hay, and Dave Adler stands up and just starts going bailing hay, yeah. bailing hay for three minutes. Dave's just been bailing hay. Yes, <laughs> and, like it gets us out of there. Right. Um. And and actually, as I think about it, you probably have to be very patient as a musical director because so many of your initiations and offerings are ignored. Maybe yeah. they. Maybe maybe it's more sub. You know, like subtext a little in the background. Right. But as I'm thinking about it, you never, unless it really comes out, like you said, you're never act, 
actively in, in, engaged with the music as an improviser. Yes. Unless you're singing, you know. Right, right. And I think uh, I think it's an interesting negotiation because yeah. there's certain things like Baby Wants Candy, which were wonderful. And I would... Uh, and this is a, very, uh, a group that does full improvised musicals. Yes, and just such a great group when I... I mean, continually, but when I started to, they were very welcoming of me, and they and I'd go to the rehearsals and just kind of be quiet, I think. Yes. And just, but in their shows, too, and then eventually I got to play on stage with them, which were some of the best moments of, you know, my so time fun. on stage. So fun. But, uh, you know, there it's like, well, you know, if and, and this is partially from ha- them having a director and working with them, but in general, like when the emotion is too much that you have to sing, it's time to go. And so I feel like I liked th- that aspect of it. And in general, in improv, I think I would be interested in when scenes did have emotion in them. So I try and, you know, not be funny a lot. A lot of the time I like was just enjoying playing music and lucky that I'm playing music. Right. I'm getting paid. I'm in a theater full of people that are agreeing to just chill and watch theater. That's how I think of that time period for me. And I'm watching amazing. I mean, to me still amazing. You're, you know, there's shows that aren't going to be wonderful every night or yeah. whatever, but the nights are usually wonderful. Yes. And there's usually yes. every show, everyone's delightful. You can it's, pick the moments out yeah. that are fun. Yeah. Um, and again, musical director, one of the few positions that actually paid at IO at the time. Mm-hmm. None of the performers got paid. Mm-hmm. So speaking yes. of paying, yes. what drew you to Second City? Okay. Um, because again, uh, not not that you know we don't all go in that direction, right? But like we've established, you you could be you could have gone into more art direction or actual direction of commercials, and who knows where that leads and stuff. And you still are doing and have done stuff like that. But did you make a conscious decision? Because it sounds like to me that you could have gotten a better paying job than Tourco. Yeah. I mean, not that all of us couldn't, no. but there's a certain amount of us where that might be the best job we can get other than a waiting job. What I mean, what happened, uh, I mean, what happened in that case yeah. was that I left my agency job. And that's for a few different reasons, including some of the amazing mentors and, and uh, bosses I had there. You know, one of which kind of, um, I mean, sadly, and she passed away, and uh, but... She just kind of said to me something that implied to me she knew. I had another boss who was saying, you're burning the candle at both ends because I'd be working this job and then I'd be almost every night doing improv. But I loved the guy and he he accepted that I did that. Yeah. And, and the place of work was phenomenal. But things in my personal life or whatever, there were reasons of like, you know, maybe it's time to take a break. So I left the agency job. I'm, and as soon as I took a break from that and I just said, I'm leaving. And I went to Maryland and I moved into a house with my close friends that I played music with. And as soon as I did that, basically a few months later, and in fact, when I went back to Chicago to shoot a commercial, so that had been happening parallel with this stuff, I got a call to understudy, maybe that was to understudy acting as uh-huh. an actor. Or it was the call to understudy, no, that was the understudy acting. So sorry, before this, what happened with Second City is I, I went and just saw a show. Peter Gwynn was uh, understudying. understudying. Yep. And it was Psychopath Not Taken, and the show was incredible. Yeah. And so now I'm looking around at this theater going, this is incredible. And uh, that was the first thing that happened. Then I think some, I got hired as an understudy as a musical director there. Somebody just reached out to me and said, I, it might have been Beth, mm-hmm. but I don't know. But somebody just said, hey, uh, I'm aware that you're a musical director. We have a tour coming up. And in fact, maybe it was the first one, but it was to Maryland, where sure. I'm from. Uh, so it was just great. Oh, I mean... 
So I did that. Yeah. I got to say, uh, you know, we can do a little Turco talk, but sure. getting to do, I mean, the joke amongst Turcos was that you didn't want to let them know where you were from because they wouldn't send you there if that were the case. Funny. There are there are examples of people, though, getting to, maybe they didn't know you were from Maryland and that's what they said to you. But the whole time I was touring, like, oh, there's an upstate New York tour. Well, Red Coast's going to get that. Never, Green, never, never yeah. me. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't tour for as long as I probably should have or could have or whatever, but, uh, yeah, never got in front of any relatives with it. Uh, mm. But you you did right off the bat, and then and then you were you in red were you an understudy for a bit in the Turcos? I was an understudy for a bit in the Turcos. I I mean I, I really across the board had good experiences, liked the people. Many of them I knew. Many of them, you know, uh, some or not many of them, but some of them even uh, they were just nice to me. Yeah, I and, have to and say around they were the two thousands, cool. I feel like it was a good community. It was. Everyone was doing everything everywhere. Yeah. From about 2000 on, I don't know if it's still like that, but I think, you know, mm-hmm. Annoyance, IO, Playground, yes. Second City, we all played everywhere, and everybody was fine with everybody playing everywhere, which wasn't always the case before, right. who knows after, but right. it was a, yeah, a good time, flourishing artistic community, I think, there. Yeah. And a lot, and a decent amount of work, three touring companies uh, going out and, and, and doing stuff, improv kind of at its apex, if you will. And how long did you tour for? Uh, uh, well, my, well, I, I understudied, um, I want to say a, a few months, but I don't know for sure. And then, uh, and then I toured for, let's say six months or so, but my first tour when I got offered to join was to go to the Iraq. Would you like to join Redco? I said, yes, your first tour is the USO to Iraq and Kuwait. So well, I want to, I want to yeah. say, I, I think there's a pattern with that. I quit before a USO tour because um, it was like I was thinking of quitting and it was like, do I want to do this tour? I don't know if it was to the Middle East or somewhere else, but I think some changes happen on on, uh-huh. on, on USO tours because when people are like, oh, do I want to go to Iraq as my last? And it's kind of like the cop who has one week left on his, it's mm. like one week left till I get my pension. Yes. It's like, do I want my last tour to be to Iraq? Right. It just feels like there's too much set up there. And I don't know if that's a thing or anything, but I yes. know that there's been often there's been people who haven't gone. Like I Al Samuels, who I replaced in Bluco, he his last tour was Vienna. Mm. Now, if I had been offered Vienna instead of a, a Middle Eastern tour, now in, in retrospect I probably would have taken it. But at the time, it wasn't my cup of tea. Uh I would have gone to Vienna. Yeah. But Anyway, yeah. but that th- those and again, like I said, I kind of I, I re- regret that because it, it turned out to be a great experience in a way for those folks. Mm-hmm. And I think somebody got hired, and that's why I got in. You know, sure, sure. Oh yeah, you know, so, yeah. Th- like not that. that somebody quit. Right. And actually, now that I think about it, my 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 tour might have been like at a USO thing when nine eleven happened, mm-hmm. and I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Uh, but describe the Middle Eastern tour. Um, and it, that's crazy for that to be your first tour co thing. Usually your first tour co thing is like, okay, go out to Arlington Heights this weekend for a couple shows. Right. Right. Not, I mean, <laughs> get inoculated <laughs> and yeah. fly 12,000 yeah. miles. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I realized like, you know, it's, it's fun to say like, well, that was my first tour. You know, I had done like this other kind of show and some stuff, but it was, that, that's, I, that's I, how it was put company. to me. It yes. was like, now you're officially part of the company. I would say that, uh, it was... 
it was uh, interesting to be on the bases. Yeah. Uh, interesting how we got there. There were moments that were, you know, felt dangerous, but not that we were in danger per se because we were in a very protective, beautiful shell of uh, not beautiful, whatever it is. Right. People were protecting us very well. But I mean, that meant the greater yeah. danger was out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, was, and and again, I don't, I don't, you don't strike me as being like, you know, a gung-ho, raw military person. So, again, it's an interesting thing because I, I support, you know, without the American military, we're not America. But then you have questions, you know, as an artist or as a person who wonders about things. You know, you want to serve the soldiers, but do you, you know, I'm thinking more of like if it was a, a Vietnam or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. is there a conflict of like, oh, what are we doing here? We, the gen- the more general thing. I don't know if that ever came up and I don't know that that was a factor with me, but like, I'm not like a give the Pentagon all the money they want all the time kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that necessarily makes me unpatriotic or whatever. I still, you know, admire and can't believe the sacrifice of soldiers but going on a, a USO trip seems like an odd, maybe mental exercise. I can say it was probably an odd mental exercise for a variety of different kind of reasons. I mean, I remember it feeling that way. But, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, yeah. I would say. And then sometimes it's like uh, I, I'll just go with the opportunity because there are things about it that I'm going to find interesting and if i live through that opportunity i'll learn something for the next time that hopefully makes me better yeah you know, like, i mean I, honestly i can't think of any place you know, maybe the far east but the middle east has got to be very different from here you know i've been to europe and 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 stuff but i mean we didn't get exposed to the culture too much to be honest much, yeah like, you we were really military bases and stuff yeah and and, and other kind and even of, that's and, a different world well it was definitely different worlds and i, I mean i it, we we stayed in interesting kind of places we had experiences that were you know crazy in a way of performing for troops and And, and this is this is iraq before the iraq war i believe before 2004 isn't it uh it's or right at the beginning of it right at the beginning of it yeah okay yeah yeah no it wasn't before it was right at the beginning of it just the beginning of a war going and doing comedy but uh, you know in general i would say that the troops were you know appreciative and we'd hang with them sometimes afterwards it was uh you know it was a good good experience and i got back and uh you know and then uh kept touring yeah but uh, but only six months or so i think so yeah and did you go from tour right into the etc or did you take a break I I think the way it went is that I got hired to understudy uh, the ETC. And did you stay in from understudying? Did you stay in into the next show? I think that is maybe what happened. If not, yeah, I mean, I think I wrote the next store after okay. the next show after that. Yeah. But now, did you know when you got hired to understudy that you would be in the next show? Or was it the, you're understudying this show... And that'll finish, and then we'll make a determination on something else. Oh, yeah, I definitely had no uh, expectations of anything, even maybe when I was understudying. And I th- I had a pretty long stretch of understudying. Right. I understudied for a couple different actors, and I understudied, well, this is maybe while I was still touring and that I understudied main stage. Sure. But, I mean, all the understudying, and, and same with touring, I just want to say for the record, the idea of uh, performing this material was incredible. Yeah. And before writing my own material, I mean, I'd written material touring, but the, a whole show, you kind of don't know how amazing it is. You're, you're, I got, I mean, I did know because yeah. I experienced it, but.
but you know the full amount of credit of how incredible this material yeah, was. Yeah, and and the material that you're running, and I talk about it all the time. That I just don't think there's a process for writing sketch that's as fail safe as this, mm-hmm. where you get to try it out in front of an audience that's already seen a show, yes. and get a gauge for it in a yes. in a nice safe atmosphere. And I just want to add, too, in addition to the scripts, also, like, for instance, understudying these guys that I was understudying, they were phenomenal actors. So I'm both getting to do their scripts. I'm getting to watch how they interpret the script. And uh, yeah, I think cool. and I think those those the first show you mentioned, Psychopath, you know, Mick is a great director. And I think he takes yes. acting into consideration into the scenes. I don't mm-hmm. know if everybody does, but that was a good acting cast. And. What was I going to say here? I lost my train of thought. Okay. Oh, the material. Yeah, the material is smart. And when you write it for Turco, you don't necessarily have that opportunity, like when you're writing a show, to run the scenes over and over again. But when you're running the scenes other people have, that's tried and true material that you're re- doing. And it and it is, it's a writer's theater because that material can be played by a variety of actors. Yes. You know, and yes. I, I always make the parallel with Groundlings, which, again a completely unique and equally good thing, but different in that that's more character, you know, you can c- call it SNL audition based mm-hmm. than, than a long show that's going to have come back through lines and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you're right. You're right. You're, that's one of the great opportunities of second city is doing that material, which kind of can't believe I'm going to say inculcates the, the second city way into you or introduces you to it. So that by the time you're writing the shows, you kind of know the template, mm-hmm. and then you get to discover how the sausage gets made. Yes, you know what the sausage is, right. and then you get to go make some of your own. Yes, and so and it's also I've had a number of people on here where we talk about the long-term understudy who kind of has an expectation and then never gets the job. You know when they have mm-hmm. that replacement mm-hmm. understudy. Yeah, uh, maybe because you had no expectation. Like with everything else in this industry, the less you think about it, the more apt it is to happen that is yeah i mean that's a lesson that i i think there's a lot of truth to actually yeah, yeah. and it and comes I, up I, all the time with this so yeah. there must be some some truth to it um so your first show was w- with carlson that's right was your first show disposable nation um immaculate deception okay the one okay yeah um so Andy came in after that. I only say this because I interviewed yes. him right before. Yes, Ithamar. Uh, That's right. This was Rebecca Ithamar's Allen. last ETC show. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Allen did the show. Yes. And then they she left for a boat. He came up to the main stage, and that's when I got hired. So who who directed that? Was that Sue Gillen? Carlson. Carlson directed that. Yes. So he did two in a row. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's right. Disposable Nation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Rob and he, Janice and he was had in been that. My, he was Red Co's director, too. So I, yes. I'd gotten to and work that, with and Carlson. That's, that's also very common where, you know, oh, this cast has a lot of Blue Co people. Well, there's a Blue Co director. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. that, that's the way it goes. Um, and so you did two shows with him, and then you did one with Warzetka. And that's then right. did you do Campaign Supernova, or did you leave after Prattfall? I left after Prattfall. Okay. Yeah. So three shows, and that's kind of, you know, three is. I was talking, he did five, yeah. and it would have been his last, but then main stage, you know, he ended up doing that extra one there. But right. three is kind of the number we all are shooting for, at least. Mm. And did you have, was there, do you remember the decision-making process in in doing a third show? Because I, I did four, mm-hmm. but I remember thinking at the third, do I do another one? Yes. You know? Right. Uh, w- 
do you remember your process at the time? Yeah, I mean, it's another slightly cloudy one because I think there were several factors involved. None of them like intense, yeah. but I think um, after three uh, and maybe because some other things in life, including like, you know, things that I was also curious about, like a career in directing and I was getting some jobs while I was still on the stage that career had started to evolve a little bit. And, um, and then I kind of was like, you know, I didn't, uh, didn't really know what the future held and my own experience in ways that I often talk about in a very good way was that I didn't get very much if any feedback from second city other than Joyce Sloan might say something to me quietly about me. But in terms of the general second city monolith, I got nearly zero personal feedback, which I don't mind because in the writing of the show, I never felt like anyone was telling us anything. And I felt like this is honest. We have to deal with the audience. They don't like what I just did. Why? And then I can think about that all night and change and get better or or it's a running order issue, and those are the kind of things I'll be thinking about, but I'm wrong about that. It yeah. had to do with um, this. Or- but, but you got to make those decisions. The best and worst thing about the Second City is how they lay out on stuff. Like oh, That's it's, interesting because— uh, yeah. They lay out on the yeah. performers writing the show. Not that they won't ever say something. Sure. They'll, but by and large, the best thing about the higher-ups there is how much freedom they gave. And—, and well, it's neat to hear that because I don't know from anyone else. No, in some I, th- ways. I think I think generally speaking, stuff, and that's yeah. why this that's why the second city's so fucking good is right. because they let the artist create the art. Mm-hmm. But when there are other things like business things, when it goes from being a mom and pop to oh, this is a corporation that makes millions of dollars that has employees that we should treat like employees, sometimes that laying back, and it almost always happens in this third show scenario mm. where. You kind of know where you stand. They let you do three shows. Right. But you also know that sometimes people do three shows and then that's it. Or they do four shows and you don't know whose decision it is. And it's a very murky position that that we all go through. Yes. Maybe more than once if you decide, oh, I'll do another show. And then you go through it the next time. I, you know, I just want to say to be real about it because as you asked yeah. me, it's a fair question. I, you know, I want to say also that it's possible at the time that what – we were, you know, the general practice of writing the show. You know, I would want to know that I was emotionally, mentally ready, excited, had, I, I could feel myself bubbling with ideas. And what I can experience about my own life in general is that, you know, I have ups and downs, not, not different than anyone else, but that, and I couldn't even necessarily accept this at the time. And sometimes those ups and downs happen while you're running a show and no one knows because you can be competent. And I was in it. And so you have the material to protect you and improvising. Even if I didn't feel confident at the time, I'm around great people who don't know I feel that way. So I was protected by great people yep. around me and hopefully I protected other people when, but, uh, I basically was like, I don't know what the fuck's happening and maybe it's my time to go. And so I was like, you know, without feeling bad, I went, to the producer and, uh, you know, that's kind of exactly what Molly did actually, when she said, uh, uh, I just, I know from talking to her and her process where it's the same thing. We're like, I don't know. And Uh, and if you don't know, there's that, we all know the adage of like, don't stay one show too more too late. Well, I will say, you know, in general, and just to be, to be kind of intentionally vague about it. But later I did get a moment, um, as did Nikki Lindgren, who's sadly not with yep. us anymore. 
uh, who's an amazing performer that yep. I wrote the three shows with. And All three of the shows you wrote with her. Yes. yes. Um, you know, but basically, I, I'll just say vaguely, there was a moment where indirectly somebody kind of said to us, you know, so somebody might want to meet with you guys kind of thing. And I, you know, could have suggested, do you want to come back to do a show? Maybe. But I say it vaguely because we didn't go to that meeting. And, and because so, it was probably presented to you in that vague way that you oh, say. Oh, so vague. Even though the person telling it to me is one of my idols and enough that he's not lying to me and he's saying, you may want to go here. I also at that point, you know, so, so I'm just saying that was my, that was a part of my experience, which is to say that, and also I kept working at Second City oh, when I left. Like I'm, everyone I'm does, interviewing so. someone tomorrow with I think was fired twice and got, you know, Sometimes the best thing you can do at Second City is be fired for a better job. Right. There are many, many examples the higher up you oh, go of that. Oh, definitely. And I watched it, you know, I watched it during my own time of somebody getting fired who was, you know, exceptionally talented, and then they go do something amazing. And, and then they and, come back. That and, is a good yeah. thing about Second City. And sometimes it's, I can even just say it's all very close. So, like, even for me personally, I can look back on why I got certain promotions or why I got hired or why things happened. And it's like, a, to me, a little unnerving if even somebody thinks, was I, I mean, and I know I, I just waited back and somebody said, do you want yes. to get hired? I yes. never walked into somebody's office and it would be okay to do that too. But no. I'm just saying I know people can make assumptions about what I've done, what I haven't. And that's happened my whole life. So, you know, to, we're human. It happens to a lot of people sure. their whole life, but that's a struggle too. And that, but there's that the, po be, that's the politics yeah. of second city where there are people making those requests. There are people not making those requests. You don't know who's. There's meetings that you may want to go to. You know, yeah. it's those communications thing, things where I think they kept it vague because they maybe didn't know and they wanted to keep things open. Yeah. But as, as it became more of a company, that kind of behavior does not – you need more direct communication with your employees. Let them know where they stand. And, and just continuing to keep people like that, I think kind of the company outgrew that way of handling things. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, there was just, it was, you know, it was big time at a certain point. And, yeah. and I don't, I, we weren't around for the, the problems of the last five, six, seven years, whatever happened there. But that, you know, I just wonder if, if you know, they kept kind of the culture the same way while it outgrew what that culture could sustain or something. Hmm. Who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, I did want to mention Nikki Lindgren because uh, she was a castmate of yours. And again, this is what I said before. The ETC in the main stage, we were writing two different shows, but we were all in that same building almost all the same time. And more importantly, we all went across the street after the shows the same time. And so, you know, I didn't spend the same amount of hours, but I may have seen her almost the same amount of days as people in that cast. Oh, yeah. Because, again... Nikki, and we'd watch each other's shows. Yes, you know, we watched each other's shows. We drank at the Old Town Ale House where she is a commemorated, like, celebrity. Yep. Um, yes. and, and so if you had any, I mean, the, the story I told in the last thing with Andy was about her viciousness on the football field. Yes. Uh, and Andy told a story of a very inappropriate sketch that she, <laughs> that she, uh, that she pitched and that he did and yep. it didn't get in, but right. you know, she, she had, she had balls, if you will. And I don't, you know, yeah. ovaries, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> you know, like she was aggressive when necessary. Oh yeah. And, and, and it was she kind was, of a paradox yeah. to you know, this beautiful, exotic woman then coming out and just, you know, there's some power to that in the way that like a, a huge man being gentle or 
not as much of a small guy because the Napoleon complex, we all have that. But like the, 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 the kind of disconnect of like how ugly she would make herself to be funny mm. and the person that she was opposite of that. You know, mm-hmm. I just, you know, and it, it's, it's crazy because we're not old, but right. it, it makes you glad that you had that time and you were able to, like we talked about before with improv being such a personal thing, you know, and, and that, that you were able to share not only the times off the stage, but the time on the stage and creating that there's a, there's a, emotional component to that a unique relationship of people that you create stuff like that with absolutely because because if you're a piano player playing on your own or you're a painter painting on your own obviously a band is collaborative but a lot of art forms are not and not many are other than jazz music none are as interconnected and maybe even that isn't because you've got a standard song that you go off of yeah no i mean even this the uh well, yes. Everything. I, know, I know I got onto a tangent or whatever, but... Yes. And I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, it's it's in the details and it's in the moment of acting. So, you know, for me, the the chair sets or the moments backstage or, and then you're on stage and you're digging into whatever you're supposed to be doing and, you know, the whole cast was great to work with in those respects and very professional. And then you're kind of free to do it. And at first I had a very paranoia about to make sure I didn't screw any of that. Up. Right. But, but yeah, Nikki was, um, she was a, a force and she could be, she could play, she had a gigantic range and she wasn't afraid and she did things and very loud. Like there are people at second city. Susan was loud. Kevin Dorf is loud. I'm very loud. I'm thinking of people who are like, could really be loud. Yeah. And as I think about it, she could get really loud. Oh, Bob yeah. Janice, yes. also a loud guy. Yeah, we had, yeah. But she I mean, could and, really belt it out. Oh, yeah. And she sure. was in Baby Wants Candy and stuff, too. Yeah. Uh, but she, you know, she really, she'll, she'll be missed by all of us. And, oh, and, sure. and I'm glad that yeah. I get to bring her up in, in these moments because yes. she, she is missed. Mm-hmm. God, I hate going out like that. Uh, so, uh, you know, are there any things I didn't get to about Second City? We've kind of been, you're, you know, you're a bit of a philosopher, and I, I dabble in it too, so I think we've kind of... We've, you said things that I feel, yeah, you know, about some of the stuff I have to <laughs> say. Good. I'm glad. But you were saying stuff where I'm like, yeah, I've, even, you know, uh, on the way here, there are things that just, like, kind of floating about stuff. And, and you mentioned some stuff that I, I, I really do feel. I mean, I think... Like you were talking about the the laying back or not. Those are the aspects that are incredible about it. And Mm -hmm. I think other people say it too, but that people can go in a basement and create and are somewhat protected ideally to do that. Yeah. And and I think, you know, at least my experience of with Second City, you're an, not you specifically, but like the energy that you bring is one that is kind of not recognized as much at Second City, but is vital, which is, which is kind of the, Let's the theatricality, and I say that in a way of like, let's look at the real. I'm having a hard time articulating it, but kind of like the, the sincerity of it. Hmm. Not to say that you no, can't no, be silly and everything, but yeah. you know when I say these things about art, art is making things to make people react, and I think sometimes improv can be just go for the laugh. Yes, there's a reaction there, but it doesn't necessarily have the same weight as theatricality might, and I think. You know, every cast has people like that. Not as often, I don't think, are they the male characters because Second City often goes more to the 
aggressive prototype, if you will, mm-hmm. of a of a Belushi or even a Canale, who's more of a yeller. Mm. Uh, but I but I, I really do, and I think over the years I've talked about this with many different people. But I I recognize that more as the years go by, that it's not just eight guys like me and Rob Janis. That's Mr. Johnson. We could do those shows. <laughs> but so I appreciate that, and 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 I love what you brought to the to the theater. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank I you. Appreciate it. And thanks for doing this. Anytime. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Second Citizens. I'm your host, Joe Canale, asking you nicely to follow us on Twitter at Second Citizens or on Instagram at Second Citizens Pod. Also, since you're listening, why don't you give us a five-star rating and any kind of review that you like, good or bad, as long as that rating is five-star. And if it's a funny enough review, maybe I'll even read it in an episode. I don't fear insults.